0: Hey, welcome back to the podcast. I hope this is finding you doing insanely great. I want to have a one-on-one conversation with you. I don't know if you know this, but I'm an investor in tens and tens and tens of companies and in doing that, I've been very fortunate to sit down with a lot of different startups and, you know, companies that were well on their way past maybe a series A or a series B or a series C and sit down with the founder and ask a bunch of questions to try and determine if this person's willing, you know, or if this person is the right person I should say to bet on. I found after doing, call it, you know, I don't know, 45,000 coaching sessions that there's a bunch of questions that you can ask a founder of a business to really help them uh, create a clear path towards the outcome that they want for their business. And I know maybe as you're listening, you're like, wait a minute, I'm not a startup. You know, I'm an experienced real estate professional. I'm in the mortgage business. I own a tech company or I'm, I'm in the service business or whatever whatever it is that you find yourself doing. Or maybe you're listening to this and you're 17 years old and you're, you're thinking, screw college. I want to go build something. Well, then this is going to be the right episode for you because what I want to do is ask you a bunch of questions, the same kind of questions that... I ask all these men and women that say, hey, when I pitch you on my product or my company or when I'm sitting down with uh, one of the highest producing, you know, uh, team leaders or an individual agent or a CEO of a mortgage company or an escrow company or a real estate company. Um, So let's go with that. Let's let's go with today is just a coaching session between you and I. And, you know, if you're like, you know, on the subway in New York or you're, you know, on an airplane or you're listening to this on the treadmill, I would really encourage you not just to listen. Uh, I know I can be wildly entertaining and make you laugh a little bit. And that's always great. But what I really want you to do is answer the questions because all the magic is in creating certainty. All the magic is having that clarity, the, the knowing that this is what I'm building. This is what I'm doing. This is where I'm going. And that's where providence occurs. So so let's talk about it. The first question I ask people is um, How long do you plan to be in this business? Right? How long do you plan to be in this business? This is even, you know, whether I'm talking to a founder or you, how long do you plan to do this? And what's fun is I have clients, Maxine Gellens, who's 83 years old and having a wonderful time doing millions of dollars a year in GCI. Uh, in her real estate practice with her daughter and their team down in La Jolla, California. And if you ask Maxine 10 years ago, how long, she would say, I'm going to do this forever because I've made this business something that I can do forever. I share it with my daughter. We've got this great team. I dance three hours a day, which she does. Katie, she dances like three hours a day. And her best pal is Mary Murphy, who started Dancing with the Stars, if you know that show. So she'll dance with her and she'll go to dance competitions. Big shout out to Maxine. The point is she said, I can do this forever because this is a lifestyle business for me. Well, if I'm an investor, that's probably not something I want to invest in because I'm looking to ultimately get a return. I want someone to build their business, scale it, sell it, take it public, uh, do something, right? Create a trigger. Otherwise, it's not a really good investment. But for you as a business person, it's important I think you answer that. You know, do you have an end date in mind? Do you have a, you know, how much of what and by when? And I don't care if you're 19 and listening to this or you're, you know, 93, what is the exit plan? How long do you plan to do this? Then, just as just a reminder, I'm just going to say this to everybody listening, in the real estate space specifically, and and we see this in every industry, right? So it's not just real estate, but I'm going to give you a real estate data point that should speak to whatever industry you're in the top 25% of agents in the MLS are currently gobbling up market share. And today, if you're in the US, they're doing about 73% of all the volume and therefore all the commission revenue is going to the top 25%. We know the top 1% is doing like 17% of all the sales volume and therefore all the revenue. Now, it doesn't matter what industry you look at. If you go to the mortgage space, you see it with all these big monster companies, the rockets of the world, etc. They're gobbling up market share. So clearly... They you know whether whether you're looking at portals where it's like Zillow acquires Trulia, probably should have acquired realtor.com, maybe should acquire Redfin. All these big companies have figured out there's going to be two or three major players in the space, and then there's gonna be a ton of, let's call it, cottage industries, smaller businesses that either get gobbled up or they you know carve out their niche and they do okay and they generate some, you know, some substantial revenue. But it's like there's Costco, and there's Sam's, and then there's a bunch of other ones, right? Think, think about it. There's uh, Netflix, and I don't even know. I'd probably say Netflix and Apple, and then there's a gazillion other ones. Hoobity-doobity, you know, uh, whatever. You know, you know all the names. My point to you is this. In business, you want to be first or second or third, or you want to figure out what's that cottage space that that I can control in terms of the niche. Like I may not be the biggest, but I could be the best at this as an example, probably need to put Disney plus into that mix as well. Cause they're, they're clearly killing it. But again, you're a business owner. That's why you're listening to this. How long do you plan to do this? And then do you understand that it's kind of in this game? You try and become one of the biggest, the best in your marketplace. And it could just be being the most successful in your town, could be the most successful in your office, could be the most successful in your brand, in your region, but someone's going to do it. Like someone's going to do it. And the question is, is it gonna be you? If, it, if it's gonna be you, if you have that kind of ambition, you're gonna love this show. If you're like, I just wanna sell a house now and then, check out of this one and go to another podcast. Like not, not, not kill me forever, but just like go to another one because this is really about doing something big. Then I wanna remind people, just as I mentioned, startups and portals and publicly traded companies, they've now figured out over the last decade or so that trying to build a business based upon real estate agents giving them business is probably a bad idea. Instead, they're going direct to consumer. And whether it is the postcard that I received at my house uh, recently in Dallas by Better, uh, Better is a mortgage company that's now a mortgage and real estate business. And by the way, I'm not a fan, so I probably shouldn't even be talking about it. They should be called worse, not better in my opinion. Sorry if you're part of the better group, but here's what they're doing. They're basically saying, we don't have a really great value proposition. We have no uh, massive degree of separation for consumers as to why they should use us. So we're gonna use the race to the bottom strategy called give the real estate commission away for free. Yes, your commission away for free. So they use their mortgage company. You know, it's another hook, right? We've seen these discounters in the marketplaces before. My point to you is their marketing, they're using modern marketing, they're using guerrilla marketing. All these major companies are putting lots of money, millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars in to get the consumer to contact them directly. And one person might be listening right now that is saying, gosh, I haven't even called my own past clients in Sphere. Ian who bought a house you know, a couple of years ago here in Dallas and his agent never followed up on him again afterwards. Like The disconnect is so obvious, right? This is like, you're like, wait, Tom, now you got me nervous and you haven't even asked me the real questions yet. You're just giving me some data points, but here's what I want you to get. Every industry is full of the rich and the rest. I'm in the coaching business. There's three or four of us that have what I would say larger businesses. And then there's thousands of people that refer to themselves as a coach and they have 11 clients or eight clients or whatever it may be, right? It's the same thing in every industry you go into. My question for you is which one do you want to be? Do you want to be a part of that super elite group that does something really special at scale that helps a lot of people and therefore builds massive enterprise value, has a saleable asset, has something that people want and they're coming after you and saying, hi, we'd like to talk to you about buying your business or having you join us or hey, can you, you know, engage with us in some kind of joint venture marketing campaigns because you built this monster thing or do you want to just be another small fish in the marketplace? Now, I don't care either way. The question is what do you want? I want to help you get more of what you want. So I hope, I'm, I hope I'm touching on some of the things that are going to maybe stoke the fire of your ambition. So let's go back to the questions. And I actually was thinking about, I'm going to pull out of my notes here. The six or seven questions I ask every founder. Yes, you couldn't imagine that Tom Ferry has a script. Yes, of course I have a script, right? Because I don't want to like forget, right? So let me put in my notes real fast here. No editing. Uh, it is my investment questions. Yes. Here we go. Ready? So here's the questions I ask. And then I'm going to go into the very specific questions I want you to ask. So I say to people, number ones, right? So, hi, my company is called the Hoobie Doobie Ding Ding Online App Solution, whatever. And I'm like, oh, that sounds fantastic. Explain the problem you're trying to solve in your business as if I was a six-year-old. And the fascinating thing is most people can't do it. They go, uh, well, what we're doing is we're connecting to the blockchain and we're forking out this, you know, crypto. And I'm like, I'm a six-year-old. I have no idea what you're talking about. If you can't explain what you do in its simplest terms, the problem in the marketplace that you're fixing, then I'm pretty certain you have a hard time scaling yourself, marketing yourself, separating yourself from the competition to truly be effective. To have people literally say, I choose you because that message resonates with me. Does that make sense? Question number two, I ask him, when this business is fully baked, what category will you be in and how big will it be? So when your business is fully baked, when you've built, you know, the, the cake is done, the pie is done, the house has been built, the castle's been built, right? I want to know how big can it be and what category is it in? Are you, are you truly, if you're in real estate, are you in real estate or are you in housing? Are you in the transaction business? And the transaction business includes housing, insurance, escrow and closing services, mortgage, all the pieces of the puzzle What business are you truly in? What category? It's a fun question to get people to think. Third question I ask people is, how large is the TAM? Now, TAM's a phrase we use all the time. It's the addressable market. How big is the addressable market? So, for example, in in the US, um, we're on pace to do more than 6 million home sales this year from a residential standpoint, not including the new construction. But 6 million equals... 12 million transactions, buy side, sell side, which then equals how many loans, which equals how many title orders, how many escrow orders, how many closing services. Like So it's a really enormous market. When you take housing, it's 17% of the GDP of the US. We're talking about a lot of money. So how big is the TAM? But you might answer it this way. Hey, Tom, I live in Garland, Texas. And if I took a 20-mile radius of the area. I got a flower mound. I work all these little parts of town, right? And and in that marketplace, there is 15,000 transactions being done. So if I just stayed there, that's the addressable market of the area that I serve, where a friend of mine that maybe is building a national company might say, well, there's 1.6 million agents. We want to be in the 28 largest metros in the U.S., and we'd like to have about 100,000 agents in those areas. So the addressable market's 1.6 million, but 100,000 them are really what we're going after. See, these are the questions I think we need to be answering as we think about the future of your business and where you're going. And, and you might be saying, wow, these are bigger questions that I'm, I'm still trying to figure out how to get more listings and get more sales. Yeah, because you're dealing with the micro issues of your business and not looking at the macro issues of your business. I'm trying to get you to look at the macro of your business. This is either going to be the best podcast I ever do, Ian, or the worst. And, I, and either way, I'm totally fine. All right. Number four, this is the question that I ask again. You're, you're a founder. I just talked to one. I can't say the name of the company, uh, Russian gal, super brilliant. I mean, crazy brilliant building this extraordinary business. I can't give any details. So I asked her this question, is your model different than other players in the space? If so, what are the differentiating factors and how do you know that it's true? Because it's one thing for us to say it, but it's entirely different for like consumers to say, I tried A and I tried B. A was so different, so special. It was faster, it was better, it was cheaper, it was more organized. Whatever, whatever the value prop is, so, again, the question is, is your model, is your real estate business, your mortgage business, your tech company business, your, you know, ISA business, is your model different from other players? And if so, what are those differentiating factors? So, I go back to even like the early days when I started my company 19 years ago. Um, so, you all know that my dad has been in the space forever forever. My dad's like one of my heroes, he's a mentor. We work together forever and dear, you know, dear friends, right? Almost like more friends than father, son, if that makes sense. Um, But I remember being one of his top coaches and helping him build that business to, you know, tens of millions of dollars in revenue. And when I made the decision to, to start my own business, I remember sitting there thinking to myself, all right. What are my what are my differentiating factors? Like, what am I going to do that's different or special? Because I've got this last name, and the last name you know could help or hurt, depending upon how people felt about it. And that's okay. My dad was kind of the Don Rickles, or almost like Howard Stern would be, probably be the more modern version. Like he made fun of everybody, right? Like he just attacked the audience in a loving and fun and jovial way. But what happens is people either loved him or hate him, right? So I was like, okay, so if I just come out with my own last name. Some people are going to love me and some people are going to hate me just because of his name, but I didn't want to ride on his coattails. That wasn't a differentiating factor for me. So the first thing is I named my company Success Strategies Institute, which was a stupid name, but I was trying to separate myself from the competition, quote unquote. So that was one thing, naming it, branding it. We went through that whole process. Maybe you've done the same. But then the second thing I asked myself was, when I reflect back on my talents and my clients and the things that, that we did together, what was it that was different? So as a coaching company, right, I'm asking myself these questions and I'm like, well, there's basically three camps of coaching companies and you know this because you know, you've been around for a while. So there was the, the cold call prospecting camp. My dad was the leader of that revolution. There was Brian Buffini and Joe Stump who basically took a bunch of stuff from a guy named Jay Abraham, one of my mentors called Work by Referral and they created the Referral Camp. And both these two camps Made each other the enemy, which is, by the way, a really good business strategy. When you have a dragon to slay, an enemy to rally your troops around, that's actually really good in business. It's like Avis... Coming out and saying we're number two, we're number two, so we try harder, right? So, so number one was their enemy, and they were going after him. Domino's Pizza, oh, every business does this, right? You know it if you're a top producing agent. And you were like number eight in the office, and you're like, I really want to get Phyllis. She's number one. What a, Phyllis? Is there anybody named Phyllis anymore? Uh, it's like Phyllis Diller. Would you have no idea, Katie, at 25 or 24, who Phyllis? You should Google who Phyllis Diller is, right? True very, very funny woman from a million. When the world was black and white, that's when she was around. All right. So back to this, right? So there's these two camps. There's like the prospecting cold calling camp. Then there's the buy referral camp. And then there was another camp and I would just call them the marketing camp. And it was like my buddies at Hobbs and Herder and all these other businesses that were like, you got to build a brand. You got to have a beautiful brochure. So each one of those three had sort of their distinct way that they were doing business and they used that as their degree of separation. The challenge was there became a bunch of marketing people that were doing it and a bunch of referral people that were doing it and a bunch of people that were talking about prospecting. So they had to continue to innovate to try and create, what is that thing about us? And I remember sitting there thinking, well, At the time, I was coaching 16 of the top 100 agents in the world. I was just with Steve Murray, who created the original list, um, Real Trends, The Wall Street Journal. Back then, it was the top 100. Then, it became the 500. Then, it became the 1,000. And 16 of those people were my clients. And I did this sort of deep analysis. And you might want to be thinking about this. Don't listen to my story and be like, oh, that's his story. Think about the story as it relates to you. I said, I did a deep analysis what did all my clients have in common and what was different about them? And you know what I discovered? (laughs) All of my clients did some prospecting, worked some referrals, and did marketing. And I thought, but nobody's talking about that. Everybody's categorizing people into these groups. This is the marketing group. This is the by referral group. And you know, right as I was starting my business then there was the re.net group, the, the early social media tech kids that were all playing in real estate, talking about how it was supposed to be. And you know, it wasn't about massive numbers of followers. It was about being at a cocktail party. Some of you remember all that jargon, right? So this fourth group, but I looked around and said, you know what I know? If you're really good, it's about knowing yourself It's about knowing your customer and it's acknowledging that the cardinal sin of any business is to put all your eggs in one basket. And I wrote down no wrong way to generate a client, no wrong way to generate a client, no wrong. And that became the beginning, the genesis, if you will, of the mantra of my business that we said look, you know, you can prospect, you can work referrals, you can do marketing, you can do tech, you can do all that because we can help you do all those things. And we actually recommend you do all four that makes a well-balanced sales and marketing business. And that was it. And just like that, I started getting hired over and over and over because people were like, yeah, I kind of didn't like the fact that if I went to this one, I had to cold call. And this one, I couldn't really do marketing or talk about tech because people that do referrals, they don't do that kind of stuff, which back then, that's what they were saying. And the guys that were doing all the marketing, the gals that were doing all the marketing were like, we don't need to do any of that stuff because marketing makes all that stuff superfluous and doesn't matter, right? And the tech people, everything should just be on Twitter. It was so um, myopic. Does that make sense? And by the way, I use that word over and over again. Anytime you can use a negative label to express your competition, not by being demeaning in any way shape or form listen to what I'm saying here but instead like oh you want the myopic approach you want all the eggs in one basket approach well we believe at Tom Ferry there's no wrong way to do it so we serve all these customers to do all these different things and we believe in this blended approach and just like that we had a degree of separation a unique factor what's yours I'm renting and raving here, what's yours, right? So what I'm saying down with you know, a founder, I'm asking like, why should I, Why? what are you gonna be that's special and different? You with me on this? Versus just another widget, another website, another app that does kind of more of the same and yours is red and theirs is purple, so that's your degree of separation? People that like purple like us? I don't think so. No knock on Seth Godin, I love purple cows. All right, number five, who's on your cap table? What I want to know is how much money have you raised, what's your monthly burn, what's it cost you to run the business, and and how much money are you spending, and then what do you forecast for break-even in profits, which those are all great questions for you because who's on your cap table? Now, cap table meaning who are the investors in your business, and the vast majority of people, when I talk to them in real estate, they say, well, it's me. I'm like, oh, okay. So it's all your cash. How much money did you put in to start your business? Oh, I made a sale and then I used some of it and then I made another sale and then I used some like the traditional bootstrapper, if you will. How does that compare to Compass? How does that compare to eXp? How does that compare to uh, Long and Foster before they were sold or Home Services of America or now Remax as a publicly traded company? Realogy, all these monster brands. How does that compare? Does that is that the right move if you're in this business and you don't have capital to grow? No, I'm not saying to you that you should go out and get money partners. But I am asking you to acknowledge if you're building a business, it requires capital, right? It requires capital. It means, I think about um, my friend Greer Allen who started an unbelievable company called Boomtown. And Greer did the typical entrepreneurial move. I'm not recommending this for you. I'm telling you a story as an example. So listen up. He refinanced his house, pulled some cash out and started his business because he knew if he was going to build a world-class sales automation machine and serve thousands of clients all over the US and Canada with these extraordinary websites and solutions and drip marketing campaigns and everything else that they do at Boomtown, he knew he was gonna have to put some capital up to build this thing. Think about it. I'm just asking you questions. Before we even get to the good stuff, I'm just giving you these are like bonus questions. All right, and there's one last question that I ask, and I just gotta get to it real fast here. Then I say, tell me about your management team right? Your engineers, your sales, your marketing team, who's in charge of revenue. I go through all that stuff. And then all I really want to get to is the bonus question. So tell me about your team. And you know, you know, probably as I felt when I started 19 years ago, when you're like, who's your manager team? I'm like, well, my wife's in charge of the money. Um, and that's her job and she's really good at it. And Steve Almani, my co-founder, Steve's in charge of sales I'm in charge of content, coaches, creation, doing events. And I was like, wait, this is stupid. I've, I have like 14 jobs. And I know that's how you feel. I know when I say to you, who's in charge of tech? You're like, me. Who's in charge of HR? You're like, me. Who's in charge of innovation? Me. Who's in charge of testing? Me. Marketing? Me. Your website? Me. Every asset, your branding, going on appointments, negotiating deals, closing contracts. Me, 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 me. That's a scary proposition as a business person. That's a business I would never invest in. Now, I'm not busting your chops. I'm getting you to think. Remember, go back to what I said. The top 25% of the industry are doing 73% of all the volume. Therefore, all the commission. What are they doing that you're not? They, they all have teams, right? There's no doubt about that. And teams could be ready two licensed assistants. They use transaction coordinators. They've got virtual assistants, meaning they're not doing it as a a one woman band. You have me. They're not trying to spin all 14 plates that it takes to be successful in business by themselves because plates are constantly dropping and crashing. And you're you're prioritizing based on what's urgent, not what's important. So we know that doesn't work. But the question that I get to when I ask this question is, so then what's your management methodology? What's your management methodology? So here we are, I don't know what month it is, but you know, we're maybe 60 or 70 days away before the end of the year. And, and I talk to executives and team leaders and CEOs and, and budding rock stars that sell 52 homes their first year in the business following our methodologies. And then the next year they do 30 because they slow down to speed up and they start putting people in place so they can actually scale the growth and, and repeat it over and over again. And every time I say, what's your management methodology? Like, how do you govern? How do you run the business? How do you make decisions? How often do you meet, right? How does this, how does the sausage get made? It's kind of a funny little example, right? Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like sausage, right? It's like you throw all this stuff in, but it comes out and we, every single time the tube comes out the right way and we spin it this way versus that way. Like it's, how does the sausage get made? Like, how do you guys run this thing? And I'd ask you as you're sitting here going, wow, this is kind of a heavy, interesting conversation and I got way more to go with you, is How do you manage your business? How do you run the business? And who helps you do that? And who do you report to? And who reports to you? And what data do you look at? And what numbers do you look at? And what are you tracking and measuring? And why are you tracking and measuring? And then what decisions do you make about that? Ian and I, my producer the other day, we were like literally sitting in the conference room here in the office in Dallas. And what we're doing, we're like, okay, here's all of our shows. Here's all the historical data, like viewers, numbers, headcount, how many people are subscribers. We're looking at the data and then forecasting to the future. And then we know like every month as Courtney produces, you know, all this data for us, like, are we on track or off track? And that's just, that's just one little piece of the business called content, right? That's before sales and marketing and everything else and events and our coaching clients. But see, I know If I have the right management methodology in place, then when I meet with Ian, we can discuss the things that are most important. I'm making sure that I'm providing him as a leader the resources he needs to go out and do the work that he needs to do so he feels successful, so his team is winning, so the business is winning. What's your management methodology? So I ask all those questions and it's really fun, right? Because by the way, all they ever want to do is go, let me tell you about my product. Here's what it does. And it's really exciting. Let me give you a demo. And I'm like, I don't give a shit about any of that stuff until I understand all of this. Wondering how the real estate market's going to be in 2022, more importantly, how your business is going to be in 2022? If you have an ounce of concern or you're looking to make sure you get the most out of the year, I invite you to join me November 10th and 11th in a virtual two-day conference I call Blueprint. We're going to set your goals, find out what's most important to you, what's going to give you the energy you want to go after it, and then break down your business plan, break down your marketing plan, break down your video plan for 2022, how you're going to amplify your brand and have more people know, like, and trust you so you can do even more transactions, generating even more money. That's what Blueprint is all about. To make your reservation, go to TomFerry.com forward slash Blueprint and use the promo code Blueprint15 for a 15% savings. If you're my coaching client, simply go inside a loom and make your reservation with your special pricing. I look forward to seeing you virtually at Blueprint. So here's the questions I want to ask you because all that was just a bonus. So I want to ask you this question. First, what business are you actually in? Think about it. Are you in housing? Are you in shelter? It's funny when I talk to... um, like some of the big economists in the country, they'll all say, well, the shelter industry should do really well during inflation because um, you know obviously home prices are going to continue to improve, and you know people always need you know a roof over their head. they They call it the shelter industry, where we might call it housing. What business are you really in? Are you in the first time buyer business? Are you in the multi-family unit business? Are you in the agent to agent referral business? what business are you actually in? Are you in the business of helping your sales agents be more successful? Are you in the business of providing five-star client experiences for your customers? What business are you actually in? Then I ask number two, how big is the TAM? What is the addressable market for you? In your, in your area, how many transactions are being done and what percentage of them are you doing? It's so interesting. Again, I go back to this question. I think about like my clients, DJ and Lindsay, who will do... they so, this was a couple days ago, they had 971 real estate transactions in escrow. They had already closed a little over 1,900 for the year, so they do call it 3,200, 3,300 transactions as a real estate brokerage run as a team, right? So, we're all excited about this because 3,000 transactions, back in the old days, it was like, man, if you could do 100 transactions a year, you were a rock star. And now, you know, 1,000 is the new 100. Or when people say to me, I did $100 million in volume, I'm like, congratulations, that's awesome. A billion is the new 100 million. Like, you know, the game just continues to change and evolve. So, we're talking about this. And the reality is in, in the marketplaces that they serve, you know, even at 3,200 transactions, they're, they're like at 4 or 5% market share. But that means like there's a couple other companies that are like 10% market share, 12% market share. How much do you want? What are you building? Because that's the third question. What are you building? So think about this for you. Like You're listening to this right now, and thank you for being a, a listener and, and you know listening to my crazy desire for you to have an enormous business, whether you want one or not. So you're, you know, I appreciate you. What are you building? It's the same question that when I came home and talked to my wife, I'm like, honey, let me tell you what I want. It's like 19 years ago. I'm like, okay, there's no wrong way to generate a client, right? We're going we're gonna to be the best at going deep on all these different verticals of marketing and lead generation. We're have these world-class coaches. She's like, what do you want? I'm like, 150 coaches around the world helping our clients. And I had this like very clear vision, if you will. Not vision like, oh, more like Walt Disney, Walt Disney, if you, if you read any of the early books on Walt Disney or actually even Steve Jobs, uh, not Steve Jobs, excuse me, uh, Bill Gates. Bill Gates and Walt Disney and Oprah and so many others, what they did is they asked a question that they needed to answer and that became the vision of their business. So, so my wife right went to Walt Disney Elementary My parents, my mom was a Mouseketeer, right? My dad swept a broom, if you will. Mike Ferry swept sweeping a broom, imagine that, at uh, at Walt Disney back when he was like, you know, 18 or 19 years old. When Walt built his business, the original Disneyland project, it was predicated on answering one question. What if all the horses jumped and there was no chip paint? Now, you can Google that phrase because it'll come up all over with Walt Disney and, and here's what happened. He took his young daughter to an amusement park back in the day. And he was like, this is a horrible experience. He's like, the trash cans were full. I, I put her on the merry-go-round, and not all the horses jumped, and most of them had chip paint. And he's like, what if there was an amusement park where all the horses jumped? Perfection. Everything was done the right way, and there was no chip paint. It was well taken care of. It was a beautiful experience. That was the origin for what became Walt Disney. that Walt Disney World, I should say, or Disneyland, the original one in Anaheim, where uh, Bill Gates... Uh, very famously asked himself this question, what would the business be like if all computers ran on our operating system? Think about the enormity of that question. What would the business be like if all computers on the planet ran on our operating system? Well, that did make him the richest man on the planet. And of course, many have now taken over that, uh, that position. But because he built Microsoft from something that he didn't even own, DOS, that he ended up acquiring. Like They took that and they put it on steroids, and then they built their entire business saying, how do we get our software into every computer? Hey, Dell, here. It's, it's almost like the cranberry salesperson. This is going to sound funny, but think about this. You know the cranberry salesperson? Like You walk down the grocery store aisle. Have you seen this? It's like, they're like, oh, you got apple? We got cranberry. Okay, we got cran apple. Here we go. Like the cranberry sales guy is devastating because there's cran everything. You with me on this? Bill Gates had the same mindset, but why? That was actually a comedian who actually did that entire skit. So just for the record, I didn't make that up. But I, I saw the comedian do it. And I was like, that is so good. I'm going to use that one day in a podcast. And I finally did. Um, that should be, by the way, that's the opening. That's the opening of the podcast, just for the record. It's not, it's not, Actually, this moment in time, that's what I want on Instagram. That's a reel, by the way. Um, And we got to figure out who the comedian was. Uh, But here's the thing. Because they asked the right question, they were able to get this like, okay, this is what I need to build. So I ask agents all the time, what are you building? What are you building? Like, why are you doing? You're working. I don't care what you say. If you're a residential real estate agent, you're in the mortgage business, you're like, it's 24 seven, man. The phone is ringing. All the money's made before eight o'clock and after five and on the weekends. Like that's just, it is what it is. Now it doesn't mean you have to do that because you can build a team that supports you to have more of the lifestyle that you want, right? Keep scaling yourself, scaling your brand, scaling your trust, scaling your process. We can do that. But that's the game, right? Housing isn't a Monday through Friday, eight to five thing. What are you building if you have the answer to the question, like the problem you're trying to solve, which I'm getting a little ahead of myself, um, the problem you're trying to solve, then all of a sudden, like, the decision to have a CRM that becomes a discipline, not a verb or, a, or an adjective or whatever you would call a product, right? A noun, I should say. Um, then it's like having your CRM is like something that we have to do because it's a building block towards getting what it is we ultimately want. So when I said I want 150 business coaches, I was like, well, then, of course, I need to synthesize my process. I need to hire a a head of coaching. I need to hire recruiters for coaching. I need to hire trainers for coaching. I need to hire coaches that are going to coach the coaches. I need to create curriculum so they can go deep. I need them to be able to cross-pollinate ideas so I don't have one coach who's amazing at this and another coach who's amazing at that. They need to be sharing all these ideas and resources so they can support each other. Then I'm like, well, of course, then I need to build a software program, a degree of separation. I need to go to video first. I'm a video guy. Like all these things became natural, obvious and automatic to me because I was clear on what I want. And then at the same time, when people would come to me and say, Hey, we should do this. I was like, that sounds great for you, but it doesn't line up with what I'm trying to accomplish. It's a great idea. I love it. Thank you. Keep doing that. But it like, I was building a business, um, kind of like a side hustle, fun project, and then very quickly as I was finding myself a little too entertained by this business, because sometimes that happens, you all know what I'm talking about, you get a little obsessed about an idea, and I'm like, this could be really rad, we could have our cons do this, and then I'm like, I I woke up and I'm like, wait a minute, this is a really great business, and the addressable market is giant, and it's all big moneymaker, it just has nothing to do with where I'm going, And I took the business and I called a buddy and said, you should do this. Here's the relationships. Here's the contacts. And if you decide to really take it and run with it, I'll be your first investor. See, when you're really clear on what you're building, you make decisions like that. You don't try and do 11,000 things at the same time, which is why most people fail. So question number one, what business are you in? Question number two, how big is the addressable market? Question number three, what are you building? And question number four is what's your exit? Which was kind of the question I started this whole thing with. What's your exit? How do I get out? How do you get out, right? Today, the number of teams I'm talking to out as an example, they've gotten out of production. So they built this like like this iconic individual who became the beacon of hope in their marketplace, the most recognizable male or female, whatever, husband and wife team. And then they realized that they ran out of the most important resource, time, so they brought in a couple of salespeople and then a few more salespeople, then a few more salespeople. Then all of a sudden they found themselves answering, got a minute, got a minute, got a minute all day long. And they thought, wait a minute, I've got to go through that J curve moment. Do I maintain where I'm going and hire a sales manager or do I pull out and go to a leadership role? And it's a decision. There's no right or wrong in this. I'm just giving you the example where all of a sudden they stop listing and selling real estate and instead they put all all of their concentration on their management team, on their sales team, on their client care experience, on making sure that the company's innovating. And I'm not even saying they own the brokerage. They're just running the business now. They've moved from tactician to manager to owner, right? Going back to the old entrepreneurial myth, the e-myth. If you haven't read it, you should read it tonight. Um, But every one of them said, this is is part of my way to eventually exit the business. So one of the things that was interesting uh, last week we were in Nashville with um, top 300, 300 of our top team leaders and their partners and you know, ops managers. And then we had like 70 people from around the world that are a part of this special little group that we work with. And, and we were talking about this, like that, you know, how do you make that leap? And do you make that leap? Should you make that leap? The interesting part is on the second day when I had my, my buddy Steve Murray, former uh, owner of Trends, has now sold that business to Housing Wire, exited out of the business You guys get that? He exited out of the business. Now Clayton Collins and the guys at HW, they own it. He was talking about valuating a real estate agent's business. And he said, if your business is predicated on you, it's worth less because if you die, what happens? And if I give you a bunch of money and you leave and you stop selling houses, the business goes down. He said, so, you know, you would sell it for less. That would be your exit strategy. At like the same thing if all of your business was predicated on your past clients and Sphere, which means it's all relationship-based, which I'm not saying against. Just hear me out. The argument is if your entire business is predicated on you and you getting a referral because they know, like, and trust you, what is that business worth? The answer is a lot from the day-to-day revenue generation standpoint, but almost nothing as a saleable asset. Let me say it to you again. Almost nothing as a saleable asset. What Steve said was, instead, the businesses, the teams that are selling, because there's a lot that are selling these days, the reason why they're selling is because they've set up a marketing and lead generation machine, right, that whether it's Facebook or Zillow or Ding Ding or Google or Direct Mail or Open Houses, the machine is generating new customers every single day, and now what's happening is venture capitalists are now looking at the size of an agent's database, And saying over the next five years how many transactions would be produced from this database and it actually gives them a step up in value i hope you heard what i just said there like that's a super interesting insight right but again it's not predicated on their own past clients and sphere so i say that to you because i want you able to answer like when are you going to exit like when are you done and if you say never cool or think about this maybe your exit is hey, you know what? Like, I named, I don't know if you know this, I have two boys, one's 22, one's 20. Uh, Michael Ferry is my older son. Well, my dad's Mike Ferry. You don't think that wasn't by design? Of course it was. Yes, was I honoring my father? Absolutely yes, right? He's my hero, I love him. I named my firstborn after you, right? And then I was like, oh, my my son, my younger son, Steve-O, right, I named him after my best friend, Steve Almonte, co-founder of the business, right? So, So both got equal honor, but I was thinking like, could a personality based business like mine sell? The answer is of course we you know we get those kind of inquiries all the time. But what's interesting is I thought, you know, what if? What if Mike Ferry, who basically led the revolution of discipline and real estate, you know, an icon in the space. If you know who he is, you know what I'm talking about. And then myself coming in. And then what if the next Mike Ferry could come in, right? But you know, I have 171 coaches. I've got six other speakers. I've got lots of people that smeeze subject matter experts in our business. But what if maybe you turn the business over to your kids? I mean, look, they're smoking weed. They're doing nothing. They're playing video games. They're 28. And you're making $800,000 a year. dollars a year as a real estate professional bring them into your business and then slowly over time give them stock you can exit they take over winner winner chicken dinner happens all the time in our industry but you got to answer the question what's your exit now beyond all of that a few more questions and i'll give you some homework and i'll let you guys go uh who is your customer who is your customer is something that not enough of us are thinking about. And I know you, you say, no, I think about my customers. Because I want to love on my past clients. And so I, I got that. That's not what I mean. The avatar, right? The avatar. Who is Betty the buyer and Sam the seller? And you have written up on your wall, Betty the buyer. And I'm making this up. You know, she's, uh, she's 28 years old, right? She's, you know, X, Y, and Z. And what happens is when you create these avatars of who your ideal customer is, you begin to attract more and more of your ideal customer. That's what I mean. Like you're building a business. I'm building something. Who is your ideal customer? Who do you want to work with? Who are you for and who are you not for is a very important distinction. I tell people like the example is today, you know, because you're one of my followers that you know having a Google My Business page is a really good idea in your business. And, and people say, how much personal stuff uh, do I put into my GMB, for example, on the photo section? I'm like, look, if you ride Harley Davidsons and you have a Harley Davidson tattoo and you don't show your tattoo and your Harley on your Google My Business page, you are missing out on a clientele, a base of customers that are so loyal to that brand that they're like, I'm choosing you just because you ride a Harley. That's how it works. If you own a Vizsla dog, right? That, or a Rhodesian Ridgeback is when I just saw recently. I was like, well, wow, that's a beautiful dog. They're like would hunt uh, lions, like that's uh, elephants. Like, it's was, it was like some crazy you know dog from a million years ago, not the ones you see in the park today. At least we hope not. But here's the thing. If you have a dog like that and you didn't put them on your Google My, it wasn't a part of the, the mix of your brand and who you are and what you're about. You have to understand that like consumers will literally say agents and lenders, they're all the same, but he's got a visla dog. She's got a Rhodesian Ridgeback. I'm using her. Here's $20,000. It happens every single day. Who is your customer? And then the second part is, and who are you? It's like, um, uh, so I don't know if I've ever talked about on my podcast, but you've all done this before. You've heard this example. Uh, I was 19 years old in San Diego at a Brian Tracy seminar. I was about to turn 20, so it was like July 17th, 1991. Um, and Brian Tracy, you didn't remember that name? Like old, like rock star. Um, he was, he was like my, like outside of my, my parents, he was like my first mentor. My dad's like, you're not listening to me, but you'll listen to this guy. So, so I meet Brian. I start you know, listening to his audio cassettes and taking notes and listening to it on my old headset when I drove my Honda 125 CC motorcycle to work and listening to Brian Tracy on like the Walkman, you guys with me, the cassette version, like old school listening to this guy all the time. And then I get invited to go to one of his three day conferences. So by the time that I met him, he had basically helped indirectly as a mentor does indirectly. I like tripled my income from making like 60,000, like $180,000. And when you're 19 and you're making $180,000 a year and you already have a fake ID and your own condo, like you kind of think you're killing it, right? Like I certainly did. I was walked into this room and they were all old. Like everybody was old. They were like, 40 you with me, but I was 19, right? So I'm like, look at all these people. Like, who are these people? So I I walk up, Brian, nice to meet you. Of course, we talked over the phone and, you know, thank you so much. And my dad and blah, blah, blah. And thank you for all the cassettes. And I've listened to everything and I've tripled my income. And inevitably during the conference, he calls me out and he's like, Tom, stand up. I, I stand up and I'm looking at all these old people. And, uh, you know, kind of nervous and he says, tell him what's happened. I said, well, I've, I've, you know, went from making $60,000 to $180,000 and, um, you know, listening to Brian's advice and I follow his formula and I do this and I do that and And he was like, you know, yay, right. Congratulations, Tom. And uh, then he says to me, Tom, stand back up. And I was like, okay. And he's like, you're my mentee, right? And I'm like, yep. And he goes, you need to get married. Now I'm sitting at this conference, by the way, with a girl that I was dating And I wouldn't even look at her because this was only a date. This was not a forever thing. So I was like, oh, okay. And he's like, you need to get married. I'm like, "What? I'm 19, Brian. What are you talking about? He said, kid, you're rough. You're You're like a piece of coal and you need some positive pressure to one day become that diamond. I remember him saying that as clear as day and I was like, okay, I know that metaphor too. That's great. What are you saying, Brian? Like, you need to get married. He's like, you need to get married. Here's what I want you to do. Go back to your room tonight and in your journal write down everything you want in the ideal spouse. I'd never heard that exercise before. I've been married for 28 years. By the end of this month, I met my wife one month after doing that assignment. One month after doing that assignment, I was like dark haired, preferably Italian, this color of skin, this mindset, this parental situation. I wrote everything about other women that I respected. Mary Hardesty was a real estate agent in, uh, in um Balboa Island who was kind enough to let me live there when my parents kicked me out. I, you know, my mom, like my grandmother, Elizabeth Wesley was a rockin' real estate professional in Huntington Beach who drove a Trans Am in like 1978, like Smokey and the Bandits. You with me on this? Like she was so just, just full of life and energy. And I thought about all these women that totally, I gravitated towards like, I, yeah, someone like that in my life would be awesome. And one month later. I meet my wife now. I didn't like you know have a script in front of me at the time saying how do you feel about this? How do you feel? About this? I, that actually did happen though, but that was on the second date when I brought my cheat sheet and I pre-qualified. Yes, literally pre-qualified. Took me a year and a half of follow up and then I got married, right? But I knew exactly what I wanted. Long story short, who is your customer? Who are you trying to attract? When you are for everything, guess what you attract? Everything. And everything gobbles up your time, takes your emotion away, takes your heart and soul away. Instead of saying, I'm really good with these kind of people, this is what my business is all about, I don't need to get 8 million people, I want to get 8,000 or 800 or 80 a year of the right people, that's a really powerful exercise for you to be thinking about with your business. Now, I wrote down under that, what problems do they have and how do you solve them? What problems do they have and how do you solve them? Because the moment you can say, I really specialize in people that own a house that want to buy an investment property, I specialize in mature couples that own houses that are trying to figure out the transition of their life, or I specialize in people that live in this territory, this part of town, this geography, this price range. When you make that declaration of this is the specialty, then you have to say, what are the problems that they have and how can I solve them in a unique way so I become the obvious choice? That's business. It's not I've got a business card and it looks just like 7,000 other agents. There's no uniqueness in that. There's no, why do I select you? And yeah, you can say, well, they select me because of my beaming personality and my fantastic looks. How scalable is that? Like really, how scalable is that? You and I both know the answer is it's not. Then, again, I'm just reminding you, what are you building? So the last thing I wrote down before I give you a little homework is, what are your unique factors? And we've talked about it throughout. But what do you do better, special, different and how does it line up for the analytical? How does it line up for the, you know, the high D of someone on the disc profile or the high I who wants, you know, energy and excitement and let's go. Like, are you for that person? You know, do you have the spreadsheets for the, you know, the, the all S or C who wants to just look at the data and the numbers, the engineer, like, what are your unique factors? Do you do it faster, better, more efficiently? Do I get them six percent more when the market's only getting three? Well, what are you doing now in the U.S. when the average appreciation seventeen point four percent year to date? Are you getting your clients twenty one? Because the difference between seventeen point four and twenty one is massive, right? But can you quantify your differentiating factors, right? By saying you're number one in the market, that's great, but who cares? What does number one mean to the customer? What does it mean that you're number one? right what do you do that's different better more efficient i think about so many clients that like they would take um uh like a law of contrast as an example in marketing they'd say well so mr mrs seller the average real estate professional will do these 11 things and this is documented from the national association of realtors they do these 11 things to market the home We do 174, right? They stack the cool, but they're contrasting. It's actually two different techniques. They're contrasting, law of contrast. This is what everybody else does, but we do all of this. And then they stack the cool and say, here's 174 things because we believe you're hiring us to market your home to the largest number of prospective agents in the marketplace to control the buyers and buyers around the world. And our experience tells us that when we do all 174 things, we hit the most people driving up the price, getting more offers, et cetera. Et cetera, etc, cetera, et cetera, versus what the average person does. Like that's a unique factor. Maybe the fact that today you have 80,000 followers on TikTok is your unique factor. Maybe the fact that you're now seven years into a how's the market show that you've been doing on YouTube and Facebook and everything else, that's your unique factor that you actually you actually open up the MLS and get people behind the curtain and you share this. Maybe it's your team, maybe it's that you speak multiple languages. The bottom line is this, the competition is going to continue to be tough in every business, not just in real estate, not just in mortgage, in every business. The competition is going to be ferocious. And if you don't have some unique factor, it's just going to be harder and harder for people to recognize you, for you to be remarkable, as Seth Godin would say, or memorable, as Seth Godin would say. You with me? Think about it. All right, here's your homework. Number one thing I want you to do, decide 2022 to 2026, what are you building? What does it look like? What's the castle look like when you're done? I'm making this up. I want to be doing 150 transactions at a $500,000 average sales price, generating this much in sales volume, this much in profitability, so we can do this for the things that matter most to me. Donate this much money to my church, uh, give back you know, this program to our charities or what, you know, whatever it is, like the heart and soul of it, like that. Then... What are you building? And then I wrote down, and who is this business built for? Like, is it built for the customer or is it built for you? Think about it. And then what team would you need to assemble to build this? Who's going to do data? Who's going to do sales? Who's going to do marketing? Who's going to do brand? Who's going to do demand gen? Who's going to take buyers? Who's going to take sellers? Who's going to make sure we do all the follow-ups? Make sure we convert and get all the appointments. Who's going to do all this stuff? Because it can't just be you. And then I wrote down, um, what... Uh, What marketing, both modern as well as old school gorilla, do you need to apply to the marketplace in order to get the kind of response you want? Then I wrote down what kind of brand do you want to build? So instead of people actually having to get marketing to call you, they're typing in your name, right? Seth Godin said this at the summit. I loved it. I captured the moment. Maybe you saw it on Instagram where he said, marketing is great, but what we really want is to become this brand that people type in Tom Ferry. Like that's what you want. So the questions, what are you building 2022 to 2026? Who's it built for and therefore not for, like who's your ideal customer and therefore who's not? And then are you building it for you or are you building it for your clients? And then what team do you need to assemble? And then what marketing do you need? And then what branding do you need? So this whole thing gets done. So you would probably had no idea what you were getting into when you popped this uh, this little podcast, but I really hope you took the time to listen, to take notes, to write all this stuff down because at the end of the day, like I do what I do. I, I coach, I create, I connect, and I contribute. That's all I really do Like, because I'm really not good at much of anything else. But those four things, I hope today you got the contribution, right? That I want you to win. I hope you got the coaching, that I'm asking you the same questions that I ask a lot of different people that have built enormous businesses. I really hope you get that. And I hope you connected on that level as well. So maybe I get three out of my four. That'd make me super happy. All right. So as I bounce, thank you so much for listening to this. I can't wait to read your comments on any different social channel. And uh, hey, maybe we should have like a hashtag, something around that cranberry sales guy who's pretty good. All right, we'll talk to you guys soon. See ya. If you want more information about this episode, including my show notes, mentions, links, and everything else, make sure you visit tomferry.com slash podcast. That's tomferry.com slash podcast. Thanks again and talk to you soon.